CC Horn Frogs are ten and zero. They took down the mighty Texas Longhorns, seven and a half point dogs. TCU got it done. We'll react to it next on Lockdown Horn Frogs. You are locked on Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, it is Locked On uh, Horn Frogs, your team every day. I'm Stephen Simcox. I'm joined by Matt Jennings. Matt was out last week, and if you didn't see the Texas Tech video last Monday, I shared that it was because Matt and his wife were uh, in the process of welcoming a little girl into the world. And the good news is that I went smoothly and the Jennings family is doing well. So Matt, um, how are you guys? And we're happy to have you uh, back at it today. Thanks for having me, man. No, we're good. We're, it's been an exciting week an eventful week, but uh, yeah, we're now a family of four, uh, two little girls um, and enjoying you know, enjoying some time off to get to spend with, uh, with the family. So, uh, it's been a, it's been a great week, um, amplified, um, or just a cherry on top with the fact of, uh, TCU going into Austin and beating Texas for the fifth time in six tries and eight times since joining the league. Yep. Uh, it's been pretty amazing. So my newborn who is now two months old, he has never experienced a TCU loss. Um, your new baby, of course, has never experienced a TCU loss. Undefeated. And undefeated. The Frogs went down to Austin and they won. And so we'll start with this. And I shared this yesterday, kind of in like my reaction video. And I'll try to articulate this in a way that makes sense. Um, I think it's hard to describe this team to people who don't watch them on a weekly basis. And I I noticed this, um, Greg McElroy said this during game day Saturday. He was sort of like, oh, yeah, this TCU team, they're flashy, and they're going to face a Texas team tonight that is the most physical team they've seen all year. And, like, I get that sentiment because, yeah, they're a Sonny Dykes-led group. They're an air raid team at heart. But it's weird. It's like, you know – Kendra Miller is beca- has kind of become their MVP the last four or five weeks. I think they're at their best when they're running between the tackles on offense, which is not what I would have guessed before the season started. Um, and they just have this mental toughness and like ability to make plays that is something they didn't do the last few years, like at all. That's not how you would describe them. Um, but after that, horrific like fumble that max had where the game was over and suddenly at 17 10 it's like all right you got to get a couple first downs to close this out and the stadium was rocking again they did it and like i don't know matt i just i think like they they want the game to kind of be a street fight like they they revel in this idea of like we're gonna lean on you and win games in the second half and win games in the fourth quarter. Does, does any of this make sense? What I'm, what I'm talking about with this football team. A hundred percent. And I think you're absolutely right in that they, the, the toughness and the, yeah, just the, the resilience to 
when that fumble happened in the fourth quarter and suddenly you're in a one possession game and you've got to, you have to get first downs to close out um, the big brand name opponent on the road. You came in as an underdog somehow, right? Even though you're a top four team in the country and a lot of previous TCU teams, in my opinion, probably would not have done well in that situation and probably would have gone three and out and had to punt and, and, hoped and prayed for a stop on defense. And they just calmly went forward. And Texas knew exactly what they were going to do. Texas knew that they were going to run the ball between the tackles with Kendra and, and Amari. Um, they obviously had the one throw on third down to Quentin to kind of that, that really kind of like, okay, you eased off. But like they knew it was coming. They couldn't stop it anyway because this was a team that was really tough. And that actually does – this was the game that – this was the kind of game that I was dreading for TCU in that I knew at some point some team was going to be able to like just not shut them down on offense, but they were just going to, they were just, you have one game a season where it's just like, it's just, it's just a dumpster fire. Like it's, you're always going to have at least one game per season where just like everything goes wrong for you with regards to the thing that you do really well, right? And this year, the thing that TCU does really well is is score a lot of points and have explosive plays. And they just, none of that was working for them. And I was waiting for the game where that happened. And it came back to bite them because defensively all year, they just haven't been great. They've been getting by, and they just, but they haven't been great on defense. And so I was waiting for the game where they get into a rock fight with somebody and then the other team's able to kind of pull away and, and pour on some points. Um, and the TCU offense didn't have a chance to respond and the defense would just got overwhelmed. That's the thing that I was wait. That's the worst case scenario that I was waiting for it to happen at some point. And they got into that situation. But the thing that didn't happen was the defense didn't get overwhelmed. The defense was like, cool, I'd love to be in a rock fight. That sounds great. Let's just take it to you. Let's make Quinn Ewers start the game 0 for 7 with an interception. Let's get, like, y'all are going to get after Max Duggan? Great. We're going to get after Quinn Ewers. We're going to make him see ghosts. We're going to make him feel pressure. We're going we're gonna to shut down B. John Robinson. We're going to shut down your, your running back that you think should be a Heisman candidate. And then our, our running back is going to be the guy who is, is, is just barreling through people in the fourth quarter, right? That and to your point about like leaning on people, that was the other thing that I think is that I've seen from them over the last like probably two, three games, especially against Tech and, and Texas, is they don't get away from the run game just because it's maybe not working great in the first in the first half because it's in the interest of we're gonna lean on you because we know in the fourth quarter all the body blows that we've dealt over the course of the game are going to pay off and we're going to be able to break off those big runs with Kendra Miller and Amari DiMercato and Amani Bailey and the whole guy and the whole group. And that strategy has paid off over the last couple of weeks. And so the fact that they can, this is a roundabout way to get to your point of the fact that they can win in different ways, that they're not one dimensional, a flashy team that all they do is, is throw the ball 60 times and whatever and score on 40 yard touchdown uh, passes that they can grind it out, that they can get into a rock fight, that they, that they revel in it is something that's really cool to see that they're, they, to your point, they are a more interesting, more diverse team than I think people give them credit for. And you have to be able to do that. If you're, if you really are serious about winning a conference title, about finishing the season as a top 10, a top five team, 
I don't want to say the P word, but, but get yourself into contention for that field, right? Um, you got to be able to win games off your normal script. And they've been able to do that for a couple of weeks. And that's been really encouraging to see. And so uh, defensively, they were just incredible last night. I mean, held Texas to three points. And it is it is really fascinating. Like, part of this is is Sark. And, I mean, like, he'll have to live with this and whatever his decision-making is. But it is crazy. They were so good against the run and against Bijan that, like, he just said, oh, I'm not going to give the ball to the best running back in college football anymore. They gave up. They, they gave, gave up. up like, on oh, it. Screw it. Screw it. Let's – like, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like Quinn carry. was lighting it up. He ran the ball like 30 times last year in this game. I know. And he just ran over K-State, which has a really, really good defense. Like, that's what they're known for. And it wasn't like Quinn was, like, lighting it up, and they and they just said, oh, we're getting so much in the passing game, like Worthy and Sanders and all these guys are going off. It was that literally it was so ineffective that they said, okay, well, we'll just, we'll just try the passing game and hope that maybe we hit one of these – downfield shots or maybe one of our tight ends breaks a tackle and gets in scoring position. But I want to start with the linebackers because that's a position I don't think we've talked about a ton this year. Um, Shad Banks had to play in the absence of D winners in the first half and he was fantastic. I mean, they've kind of stumbled upon like he's a legit contributor. Um, D winters came in and did a nice job. Jamoy Hodge has like morphed into a really intimidating presence. He runs around with his like Zeke crop top and he's just jacked and he looks the part. He had a huge stop on fourth down on that first series. And then like Johnny Hodges, the Naval Academy transfer is arguably maybe the most important addition to this team. He's leading the team in tackles. He was incredible last night. Um, so I'll, I'll let you kind of take your pick to what you want to react from, but that's not a group with a ton of depth. Like it's crucial that they get big time contributions from the four or five guys they're going to play. And at the moment, like they have four starters, which is a really cool development for that defense. Yeah, they have, they came through in a huge way, both in terms of bottling up Bijan. Um, they were a huge part of that. Johnny Hodges, especially was a huge part of that. And then they've also like in spots made huge plays as you know, um, situational pass rushers or in coverage and they all have like weaknesses, right? Like Jamoy, I think can be a little bit of a highlight seeker. And so like, doesn't always have the best tackling form, but he wants to lay a big hit. Um, uh, uh, Johnny Hodges, I think is, is, is a phenomenal uh, uh, at playing at, at, at Phil, at, at uh, making his run fits and wrapping up and, but like, I get nervous anytime they ask him to to do anything more than like play the flat in coverage, right? Um, and uh, Shad Banks is a little bit of a kind of still a little bit of an unknown quantity because they just keep giving him spot reps. Yesterday or, or, or Saturday night was his, you know, most uh, most extended playing time we got to see him get. Um, and you know he's still a younger player, still figuring some stuff out. And so like it's it's a flawed group, but it's a group that along with the whole defense, they just, they've gotten better over the, over the course of the whole season, in particular over the last month. They've just – a whole lot of credits to Joe Gillespie. Like, they've just been – they've been just slowly making improvement over the course of the season. In year one, in a new scheme, with a new coordinator, with a lot of new faces on that side of the ball. And 
they've just, you know, as they've steadily gotten better and gotten better at the exact right time where, okay, opposing defenses are figuring some stuff out and counterpunching to what the offense do where they're not lighting up the scoreboard as much as they were earlier on in the season. They haven't been hurt as much by that because the defense has made the strides that they need to. And you saw that on Saturday. Um, the one play that weirdly stuck, stuck out to me the most, and, and but just in terms of like effort and fire and like all, like the intangible buzzwords that I hate, but um there uh, Texas in the red zone and Quinn Ewers had that bobbled ball and Shad Banks flying in there head first, like trying to recover the fumble, didn't come up with it. And I was honestly shocked that he did it. But just like that level of see ball, get ball, I'm gonna I'm gonna fly through here and I'm gonna make a play. Um from a group that to your point has been really kind of like there was a lot of concern, especially with the injuries earlier on the season. You lose Marcel Brooks, you lose Terrence Cooks, you lose Thomas Armstrong, like like they're thin there. And the fact that they've got guys flying around, making big plays in a big moment, especially again in one of your biggest games of the year, when your offense is not doing everything that it normally does, monumental and was really cool to see. And it gives you a little more confidence getting later on into the season where you are getting, again, they're playing 10 straight games without a break. Um, you, the fact that they are, they're gaining steam at this point on that side of the ball is really incredible. So we'll kind of, we'll kind of wrap two things into one here. Cause I know you had a point about kind of the secondary and in, in this team and, and some of the QBs they face, but um, the secondary was really good last night. I mean, THT and Josh Newton, um, it's been rocky at times, but I think Travius especially, like I'd say since the SMU game probably, has just been pretty lights out. Um, Josh had some good moments yesterday. Since it, like Xavier Worthy is a really good wide receiver. Um, Jatavian Sanders is a freak like from Denton Ryan. He played defensive end in high school. He's a tight end now. Um, Jordan Whittington was like the one guy that kind of hurt them in some different situations Saturday, but um, overall played really well. Bud Clark has come on in a big way. Um, Nuke Bradford's healthy, which has been huge, but they were fantastic. And I have not watched a lot of Quinn Ewers this year. Um, that was a rough performance for him Saturday night. And I mean, I'm not going to come out with a hot take about it. Like he's, a true freshman. He skipped his senior year at South Lake Carroll. So this is technically like his first year in college, even though he was at Ohio state last year. But uh, I mean, he just looked incredibly uncomfortable. And a lot of that was credit to the TCU defense, but um, I was just, I was surprised. You never really got it. Like you never even really got a flash of, okay. Yeah. You, you see why there is all this hype around him. Um, but I guess Matt, like your thoughts about, the, the performance by the defensive backs yesterday and then Quinn struggles and kind of how that's been a theme in some ways for this TCU defense. Yeah. I've kind of joked at times and probably unfairly this season that the, that the TCU secondary this season has been like Trey Tomlinson and like a bunch of traffic cones. Right. Um, and that's the way it's felt at times. Um, but they showed out in a big way on Saturday and obviously they were aided by the pass rush, which again, another area of the defense that is, that is gaining steam as the season goes on. Dylan Horton 
come get your flowers, man. Like, Who knew, crazy. man? Who knew? <laughs> um, but no, I think I think Trey has played his way back into being an NFL draft pick after maybe a rough start to the season. I think Josh Newton, because teams throw away from Trey, he gets you know um, targeted just more just by default, um, and he's gonna get up some big plays. But I think he also makes key plays and key moments on the ball. Um, Bud Clark has, I agree, has, has, has grown a lot. Um, they still have breakdowns, you know, uh, Kirk Herbstreit on the broadcast on Saturday pointed out like on one of the times Texas got into the red zone, um, you know, they had Bijan Robinson, you know, running free down the sideline on a wheel route and, and Quinn just missed him. Um, and, uh, like just didn't see him, I should say. And, you know, you, you take, you take that, right? Like, it's just like, if, you know, the other team's not executing then and they don't take advantage of your deficiencies and that's fine. Um, but I do think on the whole, they've, they've gotten a lot better. They're playing better together. I think they, they having Bradford back is huge for them. Um, I think having Abe Kamara as like a, as a rotational player rather than having him be a starter is, 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 a, is, is a good spot for you to be in. Um, I will say to your point, you set me up for this, the, well, one on the Quinn Ewers specifically, I've been. This is kind of mean, but I've I staked out some uh, some real estate on uh, Quinn Ewers is actually bad island uh, back on the back during when Texas played Oklahoma State. Um, I was just watching. I was like, this is this is not it, man. This is not it. Um, and people wanted to attribute to the wind, and I was like, okay, but Spencer Sanders is playing in the same wind, and he looks good, and he's also banged up. So like, I don't know what you want to say. Um, and yeah, I just haven't been impressed thus far with him this season. I think a lot of people's opinions of him are based on like one really awesome quarter before he got hurt against Alabama and Alabama defense that we're now realizing is like fine, but not like up to Nick Saban's normal caliber. Right. And against an Oklahoma and, 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 and putting up absurd numbers against Oklahoma, which Oklahoma is like an absolute mess on defense in year one under Brent Venables. Um, so I'm, I have to your point. I am yet to see something from Quinn Ewers where I'm like, oh, okay, like yes, I see what they're I see what they're building around here, right? Um, which brings me to a point. Who's the best quarterback that TCU has that TCU's defense has had to face this season? The reason I ask that question is because they they have deficiencies in the secondary. But I think they have been fortunate, and you can't play you, – you play who's on your schedule, right? They've been fortunate that they haven't really had to face a quarterback, in my opinion, with like the accuracy and the command and the arm talent to really, to really make them pay, right, um, for their deficiencies in the secondary. And again, those deficiencies, it's year one under Gillespie. They were expected. It's fine, and they're making do, and they're 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 making it work. They're a top forty defense in the country in SB plus, according to Bill Connolly at ESPN. Phenomenal results in year one, given the circumstances, and given the fact that they were like a bottom thirty defense in the country last year. So, like, I'm not critiquing them at all. I am. I'm merely stating that I am nervous and concerned for, you know, if and when you face a tougher a quarterback who can maybe make you pay for some of your mistakes a little bit more. Um, so like to my question, like who's, because who's the best one that like, I kind of think it's Will Howard for K-State. Like in terms of like, who's the best passer that they've faced. It might yeah. be Will Howard. 
I don't know. I mean, I think from a complete QB standpoint, it's probably Spencer Sanders, even though I know there's questions right. about how but he, he was, was. But he was banged up, right? Yeah. Um, honestly, the first name that came to my mind was Tanner Mordecai. Yeah, who did not play well in that game for the most part. Like, they did a good job kind of rattling him. Um, but, yeah, no, yeah. like, he, that might be the answer. And um, and so th- to my point, again, I, I don't really want to say the P word. Um, maybe we can say the P word after this week depending what happens against Baylor, um, maybe then we can have a conversation. I don't really want to have it yet, but I am beginning to consider and think about, and just like it thoughts are coming unbidden to my mind about it. And I'm thinking about playing uh, TCU's defense, trying to match up against or trying to defend against a quarterback um again, just with more accuracy, with more command, with more arm strength, um, it makes me nervous is all that I'm saying. So that's the one thing, that's the one, not critique, but just like reservation that I have coming out of TCU's, let's be clear, best defensive game of the year and looked phenomenal. They gave up three points on defense. Like Texas's lone touchdown was a defensive score, right? Looked phenomenal. Bottled up Bijan Robinson, made him a non-factor. Incredible game from them defensively. So not taking away from any of that at all. Um, and ultimately, I think you have to be really happy with where they are in year one under Gillespie for sure. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, they have not been stressed by like just a dead-eye quarterback performance. Now, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about it openly a little bit. You look at their schedule, though. Blake Shapin's sort of a weird case. Really good arm talent, was a baseball player in high school, um, has been kind of up and down this year. Hunter Deckers, that Iowa State offensive struggle, even though Xavier Hutchinson's a good wide receiver. Um, and then maybe rematch with Will Howard, who I don't really know like what K-State does because Adrian Martinez is banged up again, but Howard's better. Like, I just think he's – a better quarterback at the moment. Um, and then like, if, if we get to the mythical realm, then yeah, we're talking about CJ Stroud and Marvin Harrison jr. And Jackson Smith and Jive if he's healthy. And like, that's a problem, but I would also say that's a problem for every team in the country outside of Georgia, right? Like that's hundred percent. If, if, if you're playing that game, then that's really cool that you're there. And yeah, it that's it's up to Garrett Riley and Max Duggan to find a way to score yep. to forty keep points and right. you know do your best because those are those are some dudes and if you if you face in the semifinal or in the ultimate game if you face you know the future top insurance salesman in Athens Georgia Stetson Bennett <laughs> um, then like that's an issue but I don't think it's so much about Stetson Bennett as it is that they have like two tight ends who are made from a computer and um, are just, Oh yeah. You've got no, you there's you, to your point, you have no one on this defense that can cover Brock Bowers or maybe can even tackle him. But to your point, name, a name, a defense in the country that does. He's a a Pokemon character. Like there's nothing. (laughs) And for the record, that is future um, 
Stetson Bennett Kia of Waycross and Blackshear <laughs> owner. <laughs> um, shout out to the shutdown forecast. Um, uh, Stetson Bennett, but like for real, like he's been great this season. He's been really great. Like, yeah, he's I, been like he, he juked somebody out of shoes last yesterday. <laughs> Who did they play? Who do they play Saturday? Mississippi State. And okay, he, yeah. he 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 moved. He, he put the defender like into a different dimension. It was really great. Um, no, and like I hate that we're having this conversation. I like I I need to get like lean really hard as I need to overcorrect and lean really hard into the reverse jinx and talk about how TCU like you throw the records out in a rivalry game against Baylor and and I will say like I have been saying for the last like probably like five or six weeks I've been expecting TCU to drop two games down the stretch. They're running out of games to drop, but this was one of them, right? Like I was, I was expecting them to lose one of Iowa State, Texas Tech, and one of Texas and Baylor, because um, going on the road two games, two weeks in a row against in-state rivals, big emotional games, probably the two games that I would argue probably mean the most to the fan base. I don't know if they mean the most yeah. to the team, but beating Texas and beating Baylor to me pending SMU like making a really like meteoric rise these are the two games that mean the most on the schedule to the fans right and going on the road to play those two teams back to back is hard and so i've been expecting them to drop one of these two games they 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 held serve against texas um and uh i am I, but I'm nervous about Baylor. So again, I say I'm really hesitant to like engage with the whole mythical round P word conversation until you get through the Baylor game. On if if you can get through the Baylor game unscathed, I'm then I'm like okay, let's have the let's have the talk, right? Um, but man, it's been such a fun ride. It's been it and it's still going, right? Like this is the most fun that we've had. We talked about this after the, I guess it was after the Oklahoma game, or maybe it was after the, I don't remember which one it was, but after some of the season, like how much, when's the last time we had this much fun over the course of a TCU season? And like, like the answer for me is, is either 2014 or 2015 now, like we're in that same discussion. The difference being in 2015, you kind of knew defensively like, oh, like they're just getting by, like this is smoke and mirrors, like the bill's going to come due at some point and it seemed like Saturday was when the bill was going to come due for TCU in 2022 and and they answered the bell in a huge way and that was really really cool to see um and so now I'm like we I think it's fine I think it's really fine to allow ourselves to to think about it and to think about what is the ceiling here because it's fun it's a really really fun time it definitely is. I want to transition to the offense. I will say, like, yeah, Dylan Horton, kudos to you. He has become a legit pass rushing threat, and they have not had that in multiple seasons now. I mean, really, I guess since, like, the LJ Collier, Ben Banigou days, um, they have not had a guy on the edge who can get after the passer. Oshawn Mathis at times. But Dylan Oshawn is, Mathis is, in, like, one game against Texas, against Henry Columbia. Uh, <laughs> that was really Yeah, Oshawn, Oshawn did have a good – game against Caleb Williams last year right in Oklahoma but yes Oshan was um king of like oh he had three sacks against Kansas and two and a half sacks against Texas Tech 
And so at the end of the year, oh man, Oshan had seven sacks, but it's kind of like that year that Matt that that Matt Boson was an All American because he he got five sacks in the Baylor game. At the end of my the God, season. riff raff, riff raff impersonator Matt Boson, um, or the dude from uh, Where the Millers, the boyfriend from Where the Millers. So, <laughs> offensively, um, and we're I'd love to hear from our YouTube commenters if you want to comment on this. Um, so I understand like Gary, Gary Patterson was a big part of this. I didn't know like how big of a part of it he would be, but then I saw him on the sidelines with the visor, like yelling instructions and pointing to people. And I said, okay, well, he's, he's, he's a massive part of this game. That's what it is. Um, I I'm kind of concerned Matt. like, this is, I know there were some extenuating circumstances, obviously the familiarity that the Texas coaching staff had with this team, um, Texas and Texas tech have really good defensive lines. But it's it's pretty obvious to me there is a plan now. Maybe not everybody can execute it, but it's we're going to heat up Max Duggan in this offensive line and force you to make plays, like force you to make plays. Um, and so these longer developing crossers and mesh routes are not working. Um, the bubble screens and wide receiver screens are, are not really working. Uh, they were able to finally, you know, get some quick game going like towards the end of the first half, but they, I mean, they have to adjust like Andrew Coker and Brandon Coleman have done a serviceable job this year. They've struggled lately. And uh, I would say Max has struggled lately, um, but they, they got to figure this out because this passing game right now is uh it's pretty bad. I mean, it's, it's like honestly, it's just bad. It's not where it's yeah. It's not where it needs to be. I and I think you're a hundred percent right. That was what I was thinking after the Texas Tech game. Was oh okay. They've given everybody else the blueprint. Like this is what you do against TCU um, offensively. Is you you try and get in Max Duggan's face and make him uncomfortable and you but the the key is you have to be able to you have to be able to drop enough guys in 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 coverage where it's like you ha- you can't you're not giving up the big plays right that TCU is really good at in the passing game um and so you have to be able to drop enough guys but keep enough guys in the box to both stop the run and pressure Max Duggan and so there's this really difficult balance and to your to your point who has the personnel to execute that and texas with their defensive line absolutely did and they and they made hay in the first half especially i will say i was i was appreciative of of the offense's adjustments yeah late in the first half and especially going in the second half in that they stopped trying the bubble screens as much and they were like okay let's let's try some quick slants more um and let's get the ball out of max's hands quicker um, but not like just to the edge where it's just like, okay, like now, now you have a defensive back who's coming up and making a tackle on Darius Davis behind the line of scrimmage. Like they, they got, they, they trusted their personnel, especially Quentin Johnston to just like win one-on-one matchups and get, get a quick six yards. And like, you can do that. Right. And if you're going to do that, and if, if you have the ability to do that and just get your, you know, continually move down the field, eventually they have to back off. They can't keep pinning their ears back like that. Right. And so. I, I appreciate that they made that adjustment in game. I would like to see them um, anticipate that this is the way teams are going to play you going forward, and and come in with a with a different kind of script 
just from the jump, right? Um, so that's one thing I would like to see. But again, I am encouraged by the fact that they didn't abandon the run game um, and that they are, while this offensive line can have some struggles in pass blocking, um, in terms of run blocking, again, they've done a really good job of leaning on teams and wearing on them over the course of the game and then breaking open those big gaps for Kendra Miller and Amari Mercado to exploit late in games. And so they can't get away from that because I agree with you. It is like the thing that makes them really, really dangerous and makes them multidimensional on offense, right? Rather than just being like they're a team that goes four wide and throws it up to Quentin Johnston you know, every three plays. Right. Um, and so I, I agree. I'm a little concerned. I don't, I'm not familiar enough with everybody's personnel to know who, who can do that sort of plan. Well, going yeah. forward, I, I, I am a little nervous about Baylor just because of Dave Aranda's, um, his acumen as a defensive coordinator. I think he's going to, going to have been watching the last two games and be like, okay, I know what we need to do. Um, and Iowa State, um, uh, John Heacock, their defensive coordinator, has really done well against TCU historically. And so, like, that's a game that also makes me nervous. And so, like, I'm – and then and then as of now, TCU's clinched a spot in the Big 12 title game. As of now, it looks like your opponent's K-State. you got two weeks left to where that could, that could change, right? But as of now, it looks like it's K-State. K-State, another team that's got a really good defense, got a great pass rush, could – could make and so you could end up in like three straight rock fights. I guess it ends up being four when you got the Texas game. You could end up in like four straight rock fights to end the season. And so, how do you adjust your offensive game plan to um, protect Max a little bit because he's getting beat up mm-hmm. and um, and exploit what these teams are doing doing to you? The other thing, and we talked about this earlier on in the season, and then it stopped being as much of an issue. And now it's been an issue again. Is Max Duggan holding onto the ball too long? He's just holding onto the ball too long. Um, there are times when the pressure gets there really fast and he doesn't have time, but other times where he does have time and you got to have that clock where it's like, okay, I've made, I've made one, two, and I, I get to third read and I, I got to run, man. I got to, I got to get positive yardage here. Um, and there were too many times where he was taking, he's taking losses or he's when the pressure gets, gets to him, he's not stepping up in the pocket, he's backpedaling, and then you you make the loss worse, right? And get behind the chains even worse. So those are the things that I want to see from Max Duggan. But, I mean, he's been a warrior. He's been fighting through it. He's been fighting through, you know, just, like, a lot of physical demands on him of his game. So it's hard to critique him too much. But that's the main thing where it's, like, that could elevate them in a big way if he could make that adjustment. Yeah, I was also just really impressed with Texas's speed. I mean, on defense, you know, none of those – jet sweeps really any of those kind of horizontal plays are working not even they weren't working like they were just not getting positive yardage i mean it was consistently putting them in second and 14 third and 16 those kind of things um so staying ahead of the chains would be big but let's talk about the mvp of this thing because kendra miller i mean it was rough going for him too in the first half that 75 yard run that he broke off was a game changer and then again like closing out the game, he just got a lot of tough yards. He got huge first downs. Um, he was the best player on the field last night. I saw in post game uh, somebody asked him. I think it was Stephen Johnson, who's the beat writer for the Four Star Telegram, if he was the best running back in the Big Twelve, and he said emphatically yes. Which, heck yeah, man! I mean, believe it. Like, lean into that for sure. Um, it is really impressive, though, Matt. Even the last few weeks when the defenses of Tech and Texas have kind of had their number. 
they've still been able to get back to, okay, we're going to line up and run the ball, and you know we're going to run the ball, and he's still getting five or six yards to carry. Yeah, it's been he, – he has moved into the lead of, like, probably the most important – it was Max Duggan, but he's moved into the lead of being, like, the most important player on this offense right now. Um, y- y- y'all know me. I'm I'm always of the opinion that it's Miller time. Is is it's been really fun to watch him blossom this season and get the opportunities right because we saw him get him in spots last year, but he was behind Zach Evans um, in terms of in, in in terms of like order of priority in the pecking order, and um, you know they haven't missed a beat from losing their first five star recruit ever in school history. It's like great. That's fine. Like, and that's no no hard feelings. I don't think there was any acrimonious um, feelings in terms of the split with Zach Evans and, and and TCU. I think he he was going for what was best for him and and every, and it's fine. Um, but they have not had a downgrade with Kendra Miller, and I think there's a strong argument that it's been an upgrade in terms of having Kendra Miller be your feature back now because he's just been so the just the combination of physicality and speed and quickness and ability to make people miss in space is really incredible. The 75-yard the touchdown run was great. Uh, 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 once again, maybe the, 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 key, the best play of the game from him that wasn't a touchdown, he did this against K-State too, was like catching the screen pass, yeah. which was like at his shoelaces, by yes. the way. Great hands. Yeah. Looks like it's going to be a one-yard loss. And like – to Chris Berman noises through like eight tacklers and turns it into a first down. And it's just like, this guy refuses to be taken down easily. And it's really, he's just, it's just so fun watching him play. And I am concerned about his, about like his workload and just his body that, you know, they did say at the end of the game on Saturday, they, they took him out toward the end, just like they did against West Virginia. They were, you know, you know, trying to keep him fresh. He's, you know, I, I think he's just going to be banged up like through the end of the season. And so you just him and Quentin Johnson and Max Duggan, like you just got to manage that somehow. You got to, mm-hmm. you know, do your best to, you know, get them in the spots to make the plays they need without overworking them and, and, and getting yourself in a tough spot where they're not available. Right. But has been phenomenal this season. Just reading off a couple things here. Um, he has a rushing touchdown in all 10 games this year, which is the second longest streak in school history behind um, some guy named Ladanian Tomlinson. Um, he's got 11, yeah, consecutive, 11 consecutive games with a rushing touchdown. Second all-time at TCU behind, again, this guy, Ladanian Tomlinson. His name keeps showing up. Um, he's the first TCU player um, with a thousand yard season since Kyle Hicks. It's the most, uh, he's got 1147 uh, yards on the season, which is the most since Aaron Green in 2015. Um, he's going to finish with probably at this pace, he's going to finish with like 1500, 1600 yards at this pace, which is wild. You would have told me that, a, that uh, any running back would finish with that in a Sonny Dykes get Riley offense at the beginning of the season. I would have told you we were insane, but again, it's a credit to Dykes and Riley for like realizing like, Hey, here's what the strength of the team is. Like, we're not going to fit a square peg in a round hole. We're going to play to what our strengths are. And it's just really, it's just refreshing to see. It's refreshing to see a coaching staff being willing to do that. So um, it's Miller time. It will always be Miller time. Loving it. Um, he's just so fun, man. He's so fun. 
Yeah, and Zach Evans is on his way to another 700-yard season with 45 helmet taps during the year. Always coming out on second gonna down. Going to be a draft pick. Going to go oh make my gosh. a lot of money. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, no it's going to frustrate me when he goes like 30th overall. But, you know, whatever. Maybe he'll be a workhorse back in the NFL. I'm sure he'll turn it on. Anyway, best of, saving, best of luck, bud. He's, he's, he's saving the tread on the tires for when he's actually getting – like actual paychecks from his employer, which like mm-hmm. I respect the game, right? It's sure. fine. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to stop talking before I sound like an 80 year old man. Okay. Um, best of luck to you, buddy. So yeah, Kendra was fantastic. Another funny development this season. So I was thinking about this yesterday. I feel like Amari Di Mercado, who has a PhD because he's been in college for like seven years. Um, when he comes in the game in the fourth quarter, like Edwin Diaz has that amazing entrance where uh, they start playing like Narcos by, I think it's Timmy Trumpet, and he you know, runs in like ba 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 ba. We need that for Amari because he's become the closer, the closer, the yeah. closer. and it's I I I don't know. I mean, there probably is someone, but I'm not sure if there's a person on the team who has improved more from last year to this year. Like he had 65 yards on five carries yesterday and he just comes in and it's like, Oh, here's a fresh new back. And he's going to run it down our throat. He like, I, I was rewatching this today. Um, he had Anthony cook in the hole in the fourth quarter and he's like two yards <laughs> short of the first down. And he, he like ran him over and pushed him down. I mean, he was like, Oh my gosh. It was, it was a double. It was, it was, yeah, no. Cause it was the initial hit stick. And the guy's getting thrown to the ground and then add the insult to injury. Just like did like, did like the helmet swipe, throwing mm. him to the side to then move forward to get the first out. It was so great. It was so great. It, it really is. And like, good for him. Cause I'll tell you, man, um, like Hendon hooker, isn't he like 26 years old or something like yes. that? There's some of these, yeah. There's some of these guys <laughs> that are older and I get it, but it's like, if, if I was in college, like if I was playing college football for six years, and I was still pretty mid. Like, I would kind of be depressed about that. But Amari <laughs> in year six is like carved out a really nice role. I'm just happy for him. It's just cool to see it's that awesome. like, he's getting meaningful time, Matt. It's awesome. And it was one of those things where it's like last year, I'd get like really, like, just like full, like, like to be frank, I would get really like upset when he would get snaps ahead of like Kendry Miller or ahead of Zach Evans, right? Like they'd give him like meaningful snaps and meaningful game time. And I made the joke. I'm like, you know, Amari DiMercato, like he should, like he's, he's your garbage time back, right? He's your, you know, um, that's, that's what his role is. Right. And he has not only, he's become like their, he's become their change of pace. Number two, close it out back. And it's been really cool. You know, when he broke off that run against Colorado in the opener, I was like, Oh, hello, Mari. Like go for it, dude. Okay. And I thought that was just like, Oh, okay. Like it was like, this is just, you know, he's getting his spot snaps and it's fine. He's carved out a meaningful role for himself. And that's been really cool to see. And it's, 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 he's keeping Amani Bailey like off the field, which is interesting. (laughs) Yes, it's funny. Um, so that's that's an interesting dynamic of it. But yeah, the fact that um, he is he is improved that much. I'm I'm curious as to as I would love to like talk to the members of the coaching staff and be like, okay, so what's the difference between 21 and 22? Mm-hmm. I think it. I think scheme obviously plays into it. I think they're doing a better job of creating 
more favorable uh, boxes for the running game with just like the way they the with their personnel groupings and and preset formations and stuff like that that plays into it. I think the strength program is better as we've talked about before, so that's probably part of it. Um, but yeah, man, I it's so rare that you see just like a player in this late in the career make a significant jump, and it's just fun to see. It's really fun to see. Yeah, so final thing. Well, I, I want to uh, close with some laughter, so we'll, that'll actually be the final thing. But second to final thing, um, Quentin Johnston, I, I do think part of the reason this offense is struggling is because he's not 100%, but that was a performance yesterday. I mean, like, he, you could tell he was not – that ankle's bothering him. He did not have the explosiveness. He only had three catches, but three catches for 66 yards, had the huge touchdown in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was a coverage bust, but he still came in down with it. Um, you know, had a nice catch in the first half that honestly should have led to three points. Griffin Kell, unfortunately, missed his first field goal of the year. And then third and three with, you know, the game on the line in some ways. If you don't convert, you're into punt. And he went up and, like, makes a great catch on a slant and comes down with the football and gets a first down and essentially seals the football game. But I, he's a true number one receiver, Matt. Like, even if you don't get his best effort, which honestly, since the Oklahoma State game, it's kind of been this way, he still finds a way to get, you know, between 50 and 70 yards and a touchdown. And um, he's doing it in big moments. So I just was super impressed with the way he got it out on Saturday. Yeah, it's, 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 it is really impressive to see a guy be able to play through what's obviously like a majorly at least a seriously nagging injury that's like, yeah, to your point, he's just not, he's not a hundred percent. He's not right right now. And he's playing through it anyway. And I think also on top of that, you know, he had the drop on one, on, on one quick slant that would have been a first down and just like hits his chest and just, and, and just misses it. And he's usually good for like one of those a game. Um, but the fact that he came back from that and they went back to him and it's like, no worries. We're going to go back to you on third and three to your point with game on the line. And he's going to make that catch and and see essentially seal the game um is huge and he's yeah man I'm, I'm very excited to see what he does um at the next level i think there are obviously things that he can improve on and things that he can get better at but i think he is pr- getting pretty close to solid- solidifying himself as I, I need to look at like the numbers but he's probably solidified himself in my opinion as 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 the second or third best receiver in school history um at this point and you know, in a in a school history that includes guys like Josh Dotson and Jalen Rager and Josh Boyce and Jeremy Curley, like that's that's huge, right? So, um, really, you know, very impressed by him. Want them to be able to continue to get him the ball um, in a way that's responsible and that you know is able to take advantage of what he can do even when he's limited, because um, he really does. They, he attracts so much attention. That's the other thing is like mm-hmm. he attracts so he yeah. tilts the field in a major way that opens things up for guys like Darius Davis and Tay Barber and Savion Williams. I think that's the one, you know, the thing to watch over these last few games of the regular season is can they get um, Savion Williams, maybe Jared Wiley um, going a little bit more, especially over the middle of the field with the attention that Quentin gets um, on a regular basis. I think that'll be the thing that might be able to help them mitigate just what his limitations are with that, with that ankle injury. All right, before we go. We got to do it, yeah. Texas. Seven and a half point favorites. Literally, like, I everyone was picking UT in this game. 
it kind of started gradually, but then by the end of the week, I it think was like, a flood. Yeah, I mean, I think Desmond Howard picked TCU, and that was about it. But it was just a foregone conclusion. Like, yeah, UT is going to win. A hundred and four thousand people were there. They brought in. They brought in Arch. They brought Arch in. They said, "Hey, Arch, you know, fly up on your private jet from Louisiana. We got some recruiting to do. We're going to close the deal." All the 2023 guys, all the 2024 guys, they had that big linebacker, I think Anthony Hill Jr., who just decommitted from Texas A&M. Um, what's his name? Um, the the Duncanville defensive end as well, who TCU's in the hunt for him as well. I think it's Colin Simmons. It was also there. Yeah, yeah. And they scored three points. I mean, they so, scored ten points, but they scored three points on offense. It was supposed to be Sark's signature win, Matt. It was. It's amazing. It's really, really. It's, I, it's. So to your point, I know. I I might be wrong. I I I. I people tweeted me, put in the comments like, tell me who I'm missing. I know of three national media people who picked TCU. Friend of the pod, Shahan J. Raja. Dennis Dodd, both of whom at CBS Sports, and. Desmond Howard on game day, Herb Street, McAfee, um, uh, Josh Pate, like go down the list. Everybody was just like, oh, and it's just, it was part of this narrative to your point of like having TCU being hard to pin down. I think there was this, like, there was this idea of like TCU's like, oh, like they're winning games on flash or by the skin of their teeth and like, Oh, like once they get into this game against a team that has a talent advantage, like they're going to get shown up and they're going to be shown as fraudulent, blah, blah, blah. And it was very, very gratifying to, um, yeah. No, to, 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 it was very gratifying to completely upend that whole narrative. And to your point, the whole idea of like 104,000 people at DKR, second largest uh, 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 crowd at, in stadium history. I'm like, okay, y'all. TCU is five and one in Austin <laughs> against Texas in Big 12 play. Like, it's not an intimidating place to play in general. I would just say, like, it's just not you know, they get up for a big game like they did for TCU, like they did for Alabama earlier on the season. But in general, it is not like a place that teams fear to come play. In fact, it's a place where a lot of teams like to come and play their best ball. We look at what Oklahoma State and Kansas State have done in Austin over the years. Look what BYU did in Austin back in yeah. back in the late Mac Brown era, right? Like teams love to come play in Austin because teams love to show up Texas, they love to do it, and TCU especially loves to do it. They're eight and three. I need to say this again: they are eight and three against Texas since joining the Big Twelve. They're five and one in Austin. They have, and most of the wins that they've gotten against Texas have not been super competitive. On Saturday, obviously, it was competitive for a time and then with the exception of a were it not for a garbage time scoop and score they were gonna lose that game 17 to 3 like well and like it's incredible yeah. like this is they're, and they're like we're gonna go off to the sec where mm-hmm. where where they where where we belong where we're gonna play with other teams that are of our stature it's like y'all you and a&m are the same team y'all you're the same team you're the same 
um, hanging out around seven, eight wins every single year and can't get out of your own way, even though you bring in a top five class every year team. Like that's who you are, man. And it's just, it's just always, you know, I try not to get this way, but it is always just really satisfying to see TCU go in there and just like show them, oh no, remind them like, oh wait, hold on. This is, this is who you are. When you talk about who's fraudulent in this matchup, it's nice for TCU to go in and show them, oh no, these are the team. This is the team that's actually um, smoke and mirrors. This is the team that's actually getting talked up with. They're not actually anything. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's the same story. They mixed it up. They got the teams mixed up. Like, and I got caught up in it too. By about the middle of the week, there was there was so much talk about Texas that I was like, man. I mean, I picked TCU, and I was fine like, picking them. I was like, am I missing something here? Like, or, But it's the same story. Like, they, they beat K-State, and everybody just – like, they win one game, whether it was Tyrone Swoops beating Notre Dame or Sam Ellinger and that Texas team beating a beat-up Georgia team. Or not even winning any game, but like hanging with Bama and probably should have beat them at home early in the season. And then like a couple weeks later, they lose to Texas Tech and it's just, oh, well, Hudson Card, you know, what are you going to do? He's just a bus driver. Quinn Ewers didn't complete a pass in the first quarter yesterday. His first completion was early in the second quarter and it was to Xavier Worthy on a little bubble screen. Like it was it's it's hard to describe. It's the same thing. They it times a flat circle. Eight and four, seven and five. Occasionally, maybe they'll pull off a few big wins and make a Big Twelve title game. But like this is this is who they are. And I don't know. Maybe Sark turns it around. I, I know. Again, they're recruiting at an even better level than they ever have. But again, like national stage, and I'm not going to pick on everybody, but. Like the Texas 247 staff, which they do a good job. I looked at their predictions page. Everybody picked Texas. And that's not super unusual for like an insider kind of site like that. But it wasn't even like somebody had it 38-35. It was two or three scores. I mean, they just thought this was going to be a coronation. And, well, it wasn't. But good luck to you. They... The the seven point line was wild to me, like from the jump. Like it's one of those things where it's like, and Joel Anderson, who's a TCU grad on Twitter, made made the point of like, oh wait, you all y'all can't be telling me that Vegas was swindling people out of their money, putting money down on an on a fraudulent team. There's no way that was happening, right? Um, but the fact that they opened as seven point favorites. And then I think it got down to six and a half at one point in the week. And yeah, then it got back up to seven. Yeah. And depending on where you looked, it was seven and a half. And I'm just like, what? And the fact is, Texas scored on offense fewer points than they were favored to win by. Like, and it was, it was again, th- uh, you know, shout out Shahan. I was talking to him last week and he was like, did no one watch Texas play Iowa State? Did no one watch that game? He's like, I feel like I'm the only, what I was talking to him, he's like, I feel like I'm the only person who watched that game. And it really does feel like, I think everybody's opinion of Texas was that they, um, was based on the Alabama game and particularly the one quarter of Alabama where Quinn Ewers was playing. And then the Oklahoma game. Well, Alabama is still yeah, very good, still a top yeah. 10 team. Absolutely. 
but they're not the level of Alabama that they have been historically under Nick Saban, particularly on the offensive line. And Oklahoma's like mid this year, and maybe secret, they just maybe they just lost to West Virginia. Bad. I mean, they might not make a bowl yeah. game, right? Um, yeah, yeah. UConn is bowl eligible, and Oklahoma is not. This is the world that we live in, y'all. Like, kick your feet up, like, and relax. Like, this is great. Um, but it is so. But that was those were the games that people were like. Oh, and then the K State game, to your point, last week is like okay. Like they went out against a top twenty team and like mm-hmm. took it to them. Ignore the fact that like K State like was in position for a game winning drive late in that game, um, and that Texas really had had a lot of trouble closing out games over the course of the whole season. Um, it was yeah, it was it was mind boggling to me that they were. It was it, if they'd been favored by three, I would've been like, okay, they're at home. The TCU has been has not done a lot to like instill confidence in people that they're like a dominant team. Okay, fine, I get sure. that. Yeah. Favored by a full score, favored by a full seven points, excuse me, um, over a top four team in the country. Um, when like your best, yeah, your best win is on the road against a K State team where you held on to. And maybe this all like we could all we could be eating a whole lot of crow in three weeks if like the if the if the results of the next two weeks play out where Texas does sneak into the big 12 title game and they come in with revenge on their minds and they, and they, they take it to TCU that could hundred percent happen. Um, and like we get to, we can, we can sit here and eat crow when that happens. Um, but I, I don't see how this team, their DNA is any different, certainly any better than it's been at any point since during the Tom Herman era during the Charlie Strong era, during the late years of Matt Brown, right? Um, there, to your point, they're recruiting better. They're recruiting as they're recruiting as well or better than Tom Herman at his height. They're recruiting better than Charlie Dever did, right? And they're recruiting of a level um, that they were like they're in the peak Matt Brown years. Great, awesome. Again, we see them do that on a routine basis, just like we see Texas A&M do that on a routine basis. At some point, you got to develop that talent, and you got to put that talent in position to succeed. And until you prove that you can do that, and I think proving that you can do that means you win an outright Big Twelve title, and you put together multiple double-digit win seasons. I think you you resign yourself to being this, to being to having people treat like think of you this way, thinking of you of of being fraudulent, of being. Um, you know, just a big name brand. And I'm, I'm, I'm nervous for them when they go to the SEC, like Oklahoma, I'm not crazy about where they're at under Brent, but Oklahoma, I've at least seen recent history that shows, okay, like there's a blueprint where they can get things right and they can be competitive. Like they can be of a level with the other teams they're going to be facing. Texas, I think is going to be a Texas A&M or lower level team in the SEC in terms of like what they're able to put out. I, I would, I, I would, I'm not saying I would love to be proven wrong. Cause I would kind of, I, I know, I'm not going to say that I would enjoy watching Texas too well, but I would, I'm open to being proven wrong, but like they're itching to jump to a league that they are not ready to jump to. And it is, it's nice to send both them and Oklahoma off this way. Just fun. Just a fun time. 
It is nice. And, uh, yeah, there's two more games left in the regular season at Baylor this weekend. TCU has a chance to, to get to 11 and 0. Pretty incredible stuff in year one in Sunny Dykes era. Matt, thank you as always. This is the Lockdown Horn Frogs, a part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team.